0: Hello, lovers. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hello, Lover. This time I am interviewing Chad Anderson. He is a local stand-up comedian, and he's getting better and better all the time, so definitely keep your eyes out for him. Um, he actually does have a couple of shows coming up, so he is going to be part of Tim Gray's comedy album Release Party. That's at Wee Johnny's on June 16th at 7 o'clock. Tickets are 20 bucks, and you get a copy of the album. I'm really excited. I was there when he taped it, and uh, Tim Gray is easily one of my favorite local comics, so the two of them on a bill together, you're already going to have a great time, and you're going to go home with a comedy album, so... That sounds awesome. Chad Anderson is also doing uh, Rumors Comedy Club's first ever roast battle. So that's happening from June 21st to the 24th. And you can find out more about that on rumorscomedyclub.com. Yeah, so you'll hear in the first little bit of this episode, I sound a little bit giggly and vulnerable because... Uh, Everyone who I'd had on the show up until that point, they were my friends and they'd already watched Sex and the City. And then this was a little bit absurd because I suddenly had this large, broad-shouldered man sitting on my tiny love seat uh, in front of my old lady coffee table talking to me about a show that I had basically forced him to watch for the first time. Uh, for my podcast, and it felt a little silly, so it was definitely uh, hard for me to get into it, but Chad was really nice, and we did end up talking about some really important subject matter. We talked about addiction and intimacy and all that good stuff. Um, We do get a little inside baseball here and there about the comedy community. I had to edit out some more gossipy uh, things that we said. So maybe there's some unreleased footage that I'll just hold on to. But and definitely, if you're interested in learning the nuts and bolts of how a funny person's mind works, I think this is a great episode. Uh, also, we talk about alcoholism. Uh, we are talking about the episode, Was It Good For You? wherein Carrie dates a guy who just went through the Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step program. So I wanted to talk to Chad because he's been very open about his uh, struggles with addiction and things of that nature, and I think we ended up with a really great episode. If you're somebody who listens to this for the Sex and the City references, it's not so heavy on that, but if you want to uh, hear about an interesting guy who is a stand-up comedian and who is improving on himself all the time, then I would say it's a great episode. And uh, why don't we just listen to it?
1: When I was, a, when I was like in, uh, 13 or 14... Late at night, I'd be like, oh, this show has the titles, has sex in the title? Uh, yeah. What's this about? And then quickly was like, no, no, never mind.
2: No, no, they're shopping for shoes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What were your initial impressions?
1: I actually didn't mind it, to be honest. Oh, um, good. I think the episode, the episode opened with the guy falling asleep on top of her.
2: Yeah, on Charlotte.
1: Yeah. And so I kind thought that was funny. Um
2: has anything like that ever happened to you?
1: I've i fallen asleep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, th- but that <clears throat> that was because I was drunk.
2: Oh okay. Yeah. All right. And did the person? How did the person react?
1: They were not happy at all. I didn't wake up. Is the problem? Oh no. Yeah. So I like fell asleep on top of someone, and then she muscled me off, and then I woke up in the morning. I- she was gone.
2: Oh and I'm shit. Like,
1: Whoa. Where would you go? And she's like, yeah, you fell asleep. Ooh, okay, so ah. probably shouldn't do that.
2: Was that kind of, because I know in your stand-up you talk a lot about experiences that made you realize you had a problem. Was that one of those?
1: Mm, not at the time it was, wasn't, uh, I was. I think it was in high school and that happened just out of high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. So
2: you maybe just brushed it off.
1: Yeah, I kind of thought it was funny at the time. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, then Samantha goes on to say, who we are in bed is who we are in life. Do you
1: agree? <laughs> <laughs> I think that makes sense. But I don't know, because I've met some, like, really, like, mild-mannered women who are, like, crazy and bad, Like, it's, like, a surprise where You're like, wait, yeah. what?
2: So maybe, like, I think Samantha's saying that your true self...
1: Is who you are. Yeah, yeah. comes
2: out in that very moment.
1: I guess that would make sense, because in the... In The moment of, like, passion thats when you are who you are, right?
2: I guess, yeah, or even if you get, like, angry or anytime you get those intense emotions.
1: Yeah, I was talking to this girl that I'm seeing, and she was like, how do you like... Because I told her I was watching it, and she was like, how do you like it? And I was like, oh, I'm definitely Samantha, jokingly. And then she was like, no, that makes sense. Samantha's basically a guy. And I was like, huh, I guess she kind of...
2: I think... What's cool about Samantha is, I just was talking about an episode with Angie St. Mars. Yep. where Where um, Miranda gets criticized for being the guy in her relationship and she kind of freaks out about it and tries to be more feminine and can't. And Samantha doesn't worry about that label. Yeah. She's very much a woman. She just happens to feel differently, I guess, about sex than would be expected of her. Yeah. And she's a business lady, but what I like about her is that on another show, I think if they were illustrating that someone was a guy, she would maybe be mean or dress really, but she dresses very feminine, she's very kind, considerate, good friend, she's just also very take-no-shit kind of deal. Yeah,
1: she's very, like, open and, like, says what she feels, and she's not, like, um scared to talk about sex. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I like that they show that that doesn't necessarily have to make her a guy, it just makes her a straightforward woman. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked um there's the brunch scene where Charlotte can't say the words. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh, yeah, and then uh, Samantha keeps saying fuck or fucking. Yeah. yeah. And then she's like making making love.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> When you say you're the Samantha, are there people that kind of try and beat around the bush and you're more like, come on, come on, and like, get to the point?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I think I'm more or less like that, in a sense.
2: Like the Charlotte?
1: Yeah. 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 I think I'm, like, a mixture of the two because I'm not scared to save sex or having sex or anything, but, like, I don't know, it's weird. I go through, like, uh, phases where I'm, like... I won't open up about my life. And then I'll go with faces where I'm like, oh, I'm an open book. Hmm. So, um, but I, I don't know. I hang out with mostly only comedians and no one really ever holds back.
2: Yeah. I was personally struck by what Samantha said about the new millennium won't be about sexual labels. It'll be about sexual expression and soon everyone will be pansexual. Because mm-hmm. when you think about this was the 90s. Yeah. Like did that did you notice that at all?
1: I get I mean i I've noticed now people are more open to talk about sex um and like even my like i and that's where it goes back to where I'm like sometimes I'm like Charlotte because like even when I'm like dating women and they are like really open about talking just to talking about sex without like and I'm like, oh, why are you talking about this right now I'm not, I don't want to talk about this yeah you know, like, <laughs> um so yeah, I think. I don't know. It's like, for me, I'm like, in that aspect, I'm like a closed-off person. Unless I'm with, like, my friends who I'm comfortable around. Yeah. Right? So.
2: I don't think there's anything wrong with that, though. Like, I've been back and forth on my feelings about Samantha re-watching it because, on one hand, I love that she's like, your view of sex is really limited for a sex columnist and she calls Carrie on her shit and she's like, you need to be more open-minded. Mm-hmm. And I I think that's great, and I think she's very... She has some very intellectual things that she says, which is important to give a sexual character. Yeah. But I also don't like that she'll just openly yell the word fucking when everyone's at brunch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm like, we're at brunch. Yeah. Like, I do do think that there's situations where... Like, I know in the past, uh, when I used to tell a lot of sex jokes on stage men would then come up to me and, like, one-on-one start trying to talk about those same subjects, and I was like, I feel so uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, this is a very different arena. So, I think it's okay to be time and place. Yeah. Specific.
1: It's yeah, it's really weird because, like, even like the aspect of, like, she's very open sexually and she sleeps with whoever she wants to, and I think, like, it's, it's like, that, there's that double standard where, like, men are like oh women shouldn't be like that you know there's like men that's like oh she sleeps around and she's just kind of a slut and yeah it's like no but we're doing the same thing yeah you know like i went through a, a phase where i was just just sleeping with women and not like thinking worrying about feelings and i was like this is kind of unhealthy for me to be doing like like i, I don't know it's just like it's like at, for a while i was like no i like I just, I don't want to get in a relationship, I just want to have sex with women, and then that's it, and then now I'm like, no, that was kind of what, it was unhealthy for me, because I was never happy at the end of it.
2: Ah. So do you think it was, like, what about it was unhealthy? Was it the sex, or the kind of the motivations behind it?
1: It was the motivation. It was definitely, because I, I was depressed at the time, and so I was, it was just one of those, like, quick, fi- every time I had sex, it was, like, a quick fix, like, to make myself feel better. But then I would go home and be like, ah, well, I'm still alone. (laughs) Yeah. Still not happy. I was happy for, like, 20 minutes, and now I'm back to where I was.
2: Yeah, it's a distraction. I think that's an important distinction to make. Like, what's your... Like, I don't think we should shame people for the sex we're having either way, but if it's you yourself thinking about your sexual activity, like, obviously, what's cool about Samantha is she's... A vibrant, happy, healthy person who just wants this life. Yeah. Versus, I need someone to validate me.
1: Yeah. And I think that's what I was doing. It was like, I just wanted... And it's the same when with my Tinder. When I had Tinder, um, I would use it and I would never talk to women. I would swipe right and then I would get a match. And then I'd be like, cool, that's enough. That's enough. Someone is interested in me, but I'm not going to further this.
2: That's so funny because, yeah, when I was on Tinder, I was open to something turning into a relationship. And when I first started Tinder, everyone was so excited about it. There were so many conversations on Tinder. And then I just started getting a bunch of matches that never spoke to me. Mm -hmm. And I would write to them and they just didn't. And I was like, so you just wanted to see if I would and that's enough for you? But, like, I kind of missed that. Just, and I guess in a way that was me looking for validation because, like, it's the middle of the night and I'm bored and I can just talk to a stranger for a while and it's a little bit flirty, so that'll make me feel good. Yeah. I guess some people, it's satisfying just to be like, oh, it's a match, the end.
1: Yeah. And I think, like, part, that was part, like, part of it was like, okay, I got, like, someone's interested in, in me and then part of it was like, I'm very self-deprecating and very, like, hard on myself, um... So like I would get a match and then I would be like, oh, there's no way this is ever gonna work out with this woman. Like, she's <laughs> way too good for me. And I'm not gonna. But but at least she matched with me, you know. And like even even like with the woman I'm currently seeing, she, she like called me handsome while we we're making out, and I was just like, oh no, not me. And mm-hmm. she was like, you need to learn how to take a compliment. And I'm like, no, that's just who I am. Like I can't. I don't see myself the way. I guess no one sees themselves the way other people see them. But like, yeah. I have a low self-esteem problem.
2: But, yeah, and that's what's interesting. Like, do you know... Do you have any male friends that are like Samantha, where it's like they're perfectly happy and confident and they just happen to have a lot of promiscuous sex?
1: I think so. I don't know about promiscuous sex. But, But, like,
2: just meaningless. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Definitely. Like, um, I'm not going to name names. Um,
2: no, please don't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but like yeah, I have a friend who's just like he but except for he never really like talks about having sex, but like I know you know, like I'll see him leave with women or like um like a lot, I'll see him leave comedy shows with women, you know what I mean and then yeah. I'm like I'm, and he won't talk about it unless he bring it up I'm like, oh, you was left with that girl last night I'm like yep, and then that's the end of it. I'm like, huh, okay. This is just who you are, you just...
2: Yeah, yeah. I think that is the difference. But then with Samantha, she talks about it all the time, but I guess Samantha might come across as a little too much sometimes because women, when they're that way, really have to prove themselves. So she probably feels the need to be like, this is who I am versus just existing as that type of woman. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, I find the people in my life who are happy with their sex lives aren't talking about their sex lives, for the most part.
1: And that's... the Like, when I was going through... When I was just having random hookups, I was always... Like, I would always go to work and tell Rory or, like, tell Andy, you know? And then I'd be like, why am I even bringing this up? Obviously, I want to, like, relive that moment somehow. So I'm like, like, oh, guess what I did last night. Yeah. And and it's like, "Ah, I still feel dumb for bringing it up.
2: Oh, I know. I used to have a group of girlfriends that was very Sex in the City-like, and it was fun, but, like, we would get together purposefully to talk about that kind of thing. Like, just now when I think about the amount of detail that certain people know about my encounters with human beings, I feel bad. I feel like I shouldn't have talked about that person that way. This person shouldn't know the things that they know. Even the things I've said on stage in the past, I'm just like... That's a person, and now you've exploited them. Yeah. And they trusted you with this, like, intimate act. And, like, it's one thing to be like, yeah, we had sex, it was great. But, like, when it gets into the, like, nitty-gritty, it's like... I don't know, I've just started to... Even if it is a meaningless encounter, there's still a respect level that should be there.
1: Yeah, and, like, at the same time, it's like... Like at least for myself, it was like I used that person last night to make myself feel better for a few minutes, mm-hmm. however long it lasted, and then when I was feeling crappy the next day, I I broke their trust by telling someone else about it to mm-hmm. try and make myself feel better again. Yeah. So I used them twice.
2: Yeah. Do you get that way in other? Uh, in other areas of your life, like I know for me with an argument, if I get into an argument, it makes me feel really like alive Mm -hmm. somehow and I don't like the feeling but it's still very exhilarating and then I see the next person I'm in and I'm like, listen what this person had to say and then I've told five people and now five people have this perception of this other person and I didn't actually deal with it with the person. I just went on these rants and... I've started to think about how unfair that is as well. Because it's like, it is a. I am just trying to get that high again. Yeah,
1: I do that as Like, also, like arguing with certain people online and then, like, you know, like to my roommate, be like, guess, guess what happened to Guess what I. I put this person in their place. And then, like, going to work and be like, I put this person in their place last night. Yeah. You, <laughs> you should go online and check it out. I was on point. And it's just like, no, man, you didn't. You. You were mean to someone, (laughs) and then you didn't apologize, and then you bragged about it to...
2: You know? The amount of unsent screen caps I have is unreal, (laughs) because I have, like, the instinct to be very catty about something, and luckily i finally, like, very recently, like, I would say within the last few months, gotten to a place where I can be like, you're not going to send that screen cap, because... Yeah, you're just trying to validate yourself and make someone else look dumb. Yeah. But maybe that person would like to talk about that with you, and which is why with online arguments, I've started just saying to people, if you want to talk about this in person, we can. And I just keep saying that because yeah. I'm like, I don't... I even had someone try and start shit on my wall, like, a few months ago, and I was getting messages about it. They were like, who is this person? Why are they doing this? And I was like, ah, ah, like, yeah. and I was trying to be really nice about it and just shut it down, because I didn't want that person to have a reputation without ever having met these people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's, like, with, like, especially arguing online, like, both parties are going to say things they wouldn't normally say if you were face-to-face. Yeah. You know, because like you don't have to look that person in the eyes and then say those like terrible things. Yeah. Even if they're like things that are like truthful, like when you're arguing with someone in person, you're not you're not being one hundred percent truthful to them, or you're not you're not you, being truthful to the point where it's mean.
2: Yeah, you might take the take a minute. Yeah. To balance yourself out before you say something. What are my other notes? I wrote Carrie looks so beautiful <laughs> um, because a lot of men like to talk about sarah jessica parker being ugly mm-hmm.
1: i feel like it was it's like one of those things where no one talked about it and then all of a sudden someone made like a joke and i was like oh yeah and now and then like everyone's making a joke like i think family guy made a yeah a, she looked like a horse joke once yeah but no i am uh, when i was watching last night i was like she's pretty she looks really good
2: i also wrote miranda's new sheets miranda's bangs no <laughs>
1: <laughs> i uh i was in that she's wearing like this like i don't even know what to, it's like a shirt It's like, it has like a little loop around the neck and then it comes down in like an upside down V. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, then that's very 90s. Like, is that what, and I remember thinking like, that's how like my older sister dressed was like, like that. Like that, that was a
2: terrible style. Yeah. And Carrie wears a shirt like that later with pink bra straps. Yeah. And like visible bra straps being, did your older sister do that as well? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a funny little time capsule because this was like a show about these stylish women. Yeah. (laughs) But um, when they had late 90s and early 2000s trends to work with, like they did look stylish, but that was just a bad time for fashion. Mm -hmm. So then Carrie meets a guy who's in in AA. Uh, How did you feel about his character?
1: Uh, I related to that character a lot, especially when they like show the, like the cut scenes of them on their first, second and like third date and like when him not kissing her and I was like, Oh yeah, I've definitely been in that situation where I'm like, it's just like, it's a weird feeling and I still have it now. I'm getting better at it, but like there have been women that I dated and they're like, man, we went on three dates and he didn't kiss me and I was beginning to wonder what was going on. I was like, no, I'm just nervous. Like, I don't know how to deal with... It. Because it's like... And he's 11 months sober, I think, so...
2: Yeah, he's in the program. You went through, like, a similar thing, Yeah. Right? yeah.
1: So, I've, I didn't get involved with anyone new in my first year of recovery. I was very obsessed with my ex, who I was getting sober for. Um, but it's like a dating... Is so weird the first time you like date someone new as a sober person. You're like, oh man, what's with all like this? It's a lot of feelings that I have to deal with, you know, and uh, get like in your head a lot about it. So I was like, I was like, when he wasn't kissing, I was like, I know exactly what's going on. He he's scared. He just doesn't know how to do it. The thing I didn't like about him, I felt like they overplayed his emotions yeah towards the end but then again everyone has a different experience like maybe if i had gotten involved like that at 11 months clean and then a woman told me that we need to take a break maybe i would have drank yeah
2: yeah i often feel like in a way and maybe when i'm thinking about it now maybe it's a retaliation for how many crazy women have been like, like Seinfeld was always dating some crazy woman. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's why, but the men often feel like kind of, unless they become a sex in the city boyfriend, they feel very like blips on her radar. Like, Oh, and then I went out with this guy and he had this problem. And it feels like they were pretty even handed with the way they wrote him in the beginning, but then they were like, and of course he's crazy next episode.
1: Yeah. Um, I did, I liked that he was like, I'm in love with you right away, because I've definitely been in that situation. Not where I've told the woman that I was in love with her, but where it was like a month in, I was like, I think I'm in love, I'm definitely in love with this person. And then they like break up with me and I'm like, oh no, like what do I do now? My world is over.
0: Yeah. What is it, well, what does
2: it really mean? Like when you look back and you're like, I wasn't really in love, like what? What does that mean, like, to really be in love versus not?
1: I think for myself, in a lot of situations, I was in love with the idea of that person. Um, where it was just like, I, it was like a bad time in my life where I wasn't feeling good about myself. And then this woman comes along and I'm like, oh, you make me feel nice. you know, yeah. I'm in love with you now, but I'm just in love with the way you make me feel about myself, because I'm not. It's a, It's a, It's another one of those distractions, mm-hmm. but it lasts longer than just having a random hookup, you know? Like, so I'm like, oh, we get to hang out and do fun stuff together and have sex, and it's not a random hookup. Yeah. But I'm really not looking at myself as to why I was feeling crappy before you came along.
2: Yeah. Do you know people like that, because I do, that are serial monogamers? Yeah. That are, like, like, I would almost prefer people are just, like, I'm promiscuous and that's it, like what we were talking about. Then there are people who get involved in, like, little three-month intense relationships and then the next three-month intense relationship, and it's, like, they're just addicted to that feeling.
1: Yeah. I've, I've, (laughs) I've done that also. Um... So, yeah, it's a, it's weird, and Like, in my cases, when I've done it, it's been like, I'm like, oh, I'm really into this person. And then, like, three months in, I'm like, oh no, I'm not into this person the way I thought I was. And now I need to figure out how to get out of this. Mm-hmm. And usually it's, uh, I blame my alcoholism, which is kind of, uh, it's kind of true, but not in the way I blame my alcoholism. To them, Like, I'll just be like, oh, I'm having a rough time and I need to focus on myself. Well, re- in reality, I should be saying, like, listen, and, you know, my my alcoholism and, like, my sick mind made me get into this relationship to feel better about myself before I was ready for it. Uh, and I'm sorry. You know, like, I, yeah. I'm using you for three months to make myself feel better.
2: Yeah. Um, do you think... Like, have you ever been that level of honest with someone? No. Like, because how how do you think that would go? Like, because the... Because I've I've been in relationships with serial monogamers where they give me the line, like, you're great, you're so perfect, it's just that right now, blah, blah, blah. Like, I could recite it from memory, the speech that they all do. But it's like, I don't know if the truth would have made me feel better.
1: Yeah. That, and I actually have a joke about that because I did get called out by someone because I, we had broken up and then the woman I was dating before her, they had talked and they both were like, oh, he said the same thing to me. And then the woman that I had just broken up with was like, so I know you're lying about why we broke up. And so I like, she's like, why didn't you just tell me the truth that you weren't into me? And I was like, cause like the truth is worse almost like I feel, and that's also selfish on my part because I don't want to see someone get hurt. So I'm making up a lie mm-hmm. to avoid a confrontation with them. But like, yeah, I have a, Like it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird, if they don't find out that you're lying and you don't hurt them that much, is it really that big of a deal? A yeah. weird question.
2: Yeah. It's cuz looking back I remember I probably did very similar things like was confrontational with those men and was like, "What the fuck?" But like did I really want to hear like I just thought I wanted to be with someone, but I don't or at least not you. Like mm-hmm. I don't know that that probably would have stung.
1: It just feels easier to put it on myself, just to be like, hey, it's me, like, right now I'm not in a good place and I can't be in this relationship, rather than being like, yeah, I thought I wanted to be in a relationship, but I don't, or at least not with you, there's a bunch of things that, like, have been coming to the surface that I don't like about you now, so, uh, see you later.
0: Yeah, that's so, it would be
2: hurtful, but then at the same time, I think I went through A pretty arrogant period when I've had a few of those breakups where guys were like, you're perfect, however, da-da-da. So I don't think I had to confront anything about myself and the way I am in relationships until the relationship I'm in now. And then I was like, oh, cool, like, I get to work on myself instead of just demonizing the men in my life and being like, he wasn't ready for this, and I'm (laughs) wonderful. Like, I... So, on one level, it maybe would have been kind of cool if somebody would have been like, Hey, this thing about you, I, I can't handle that. Cause then I could have worked on it for the next person. Yeah. Um, but like, not that I want to change myself, but there are things we need to work on. Yeah. Um, but I mean, in my early twenties, I don't, I think I would have had the same answer to that as I would have to the line. I would have just been like, "Oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about." Like, so yeah, it's a complicated. It's hard. It's hard to say what would be better.
1: I think to, like, I also with being like, I have a lot of problems with relationships, but uh,
2: I think everyone does.
1: Yeah, because I'm like I'm neither like just having random hookups or I'm getting into relationships I'm not necessarily ready for or if I'm ready to be in a relationship I like I get involved way too fast you know what I mean like it's not and like right now I'm in this like space with this woman where we have we haven't like we've been seeing this for like a couple months and like in all my other relationships at this point I would have like it's like would have been at their house every day, or they would have been at my house every day. Like we would have been, you know. And with with this woman now, it's like very slow going. Not like not slow. I don't know. It's it's a weird. It's weird to me where I'm like, what what is going on? You know, like <laughs> what do you want from me? And then she's like, No, I like you. Just like take it slow. And I'm like, This is new for me, and it feels better.
2: Yeah. So it's it's her that's initiating. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you found someone that's a good balance for you. Because yeah. I think I, being a really intense person, it was really easy for me to get sucked into serial monogamy type things because I'd be like, yes, this feels great. And, like, I was never like, uh, no, hold on. Mm-hmm. And I need someone to be like, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit here because otherwise I won't.
1: Yeah. And, like, I think when two people... I think that's also my problem, because I also, um, like, one of my problems is, is, like, if a woman shows that she's really interested in me, like, right away, I'm, like, immediately, like, oh, no, 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 not this. <laughs> what, you like me? No way. And then, I like, that's too much, and I'll, like, back away. Um, I, but I think that's because I'm like that, so then when I see someone else do that to me, I'm like, ugh, I can't handle this. Yeah. So I think with this woman that I'm seeing now it's I'm controlling myself to not like push to like hang out with her all the time. And she's just so calm all always and but like perfectly timed like hey I miss you or like hey you know I've been thinking about you and I'm like, oh, "Okay, so like it's not super intense to the point that it scares me and it's enough." of that, like, feeling of, like, I'm chasing, you know what I mean? Like, I'm working for it.
2: Yeah, I think.
1: And not working for it in the in the sense that, like, she's not showing me any emotions and I'm just like, hey, I like you, mm-hmm. you know?
2: Yeah, like, he's, every once in a while she will let you know, it's just not excessive. I think that's something I started to figure out when... I used to have, uh well, I'm still friends with this person, but they used to be like my best friend. We hung out all the time and we would talk about the people in our lives that we really wanted to be dating that for whatever reason weren't interested. And then I started, and then I dated someone who was as intense about me um as I was about those people. And I was like, ooh, this is, this is a turnoff because you know nothing about me. I haven't given you any indication that... Like, it's one thing, like I said, with those serial monogamy people that I would get really nestled in and you're, like, in a mutual, lovey space. But then when you're kind of a little more reserved and this person's giving you so much and you see that imbalance, you're like, oh, this feels gross. Yeah. It feels like... It feels like you're projecting a lot onto me and you don't know why, but you just are. And I remember... With this dude, like, we dated for, like, a week, but I met up with him somewhere, and I was trying to go on a rant about my day, and I was like, ah, and then they said this, and he kept trying to, like, hug me and kiss me and rub my back, and I was like, why are you doing this? Like, I barely know you. I'm trying to go on a rant. Like, don't be like, oh, sweetie, and, like, it felt repulsive, and then I went, when that ended, I went to this best friend, and I was like, we try too hard, like, (laughs) we... Get all wrapped up in the idea of someone, and then we start really selling our product super hard. Yeah. It's like maybe just be like, "I uh, this is this is my offer," and I'll be over here yeah. as opposed to like I'm gonna text you every five minutes and be like thinking about dating you, just so you know. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, I think it's it's really valuable to learn to express maybe every third thought that you have
1: yeah, and the, yeah it's, there's definitely like lately where I'm like oh I should like tell her how much I like her right now and I'm like no don't just let it you're you're trying to force something yeah just let it play out and like I have two friends who have the, like because in AA you have sponsors and they're like oh we're we're, we're your relationship sponsors and <laughs> I'm like it's true because anytime I've had problems or I'm not sure what to do in any relationship Um, they're a couple and they'll be like they'll back and forth and like tell me and I never used to listen to them and like lately they're like what's going on you haven't been like asking us for advice I'm like I don't know I just feel confident now and like things are going well and my friend Christine was like she's like well that's good and she was like it seems like this you're like not forcing it Mm -hmm. she's like that was like your biggest problem is that you were constantly trying to force these relationships to go Mm-hmm. where you wanted them to go way too soon I'm like yeah no I, I get it now you know like I, I I'm like self control um just like still cuz I have that like kind of that like old school not old school but like that older mentality where it's like I need to be in control but not in con- in a controlling way but just like leading and, yeah. and like planning stuff So like I'm at a point now where like it feels like I'm like I'm like this is coming naturally to me I think you
0: Mm know
1: and I'm don't I don't want to like push this relationship to a point where she's like okay I'm turned off now just like let it play out and uh, like the other day she sent me this list of like date ideas for like Winnipeg and Manitoba and I was like oh cool so this you know and then she because it said twenty one date or twenty one date spots to go with your significant other and then she's like is that it says significant other is that too soon i was like i don't know as like as the man friend as i said as the man person in your life i I appreciate this and then she's like man man person man friend i like that (laughs) so it's like we're slowly getting to that like inevitable talk of what's happening but i'm not like because normally i would be like what are we what are we What are we?"
2: yeah tell me tell me yeah it's I feel like that is a huge uh cause you talk about being lower in confidence, but it sounds like you are getting that higher level of confidence mm-hmm. because when you have a lower level of confidence I think it causes this anxiety where you're like, This person might stop being interested in me, so I've gotta lock them in mm-hmm. and like which is so silly because they can still go somewhere. Yeah. Like, but you feel this need and like, um, when I, when, when I met Kyle, my boyfriend, um, I had been single for a long time and I'd grown confident in myself. And when things started to go well, I was like, Oh, that's great. But we might also break up. Like that could happen. Mm-hmm. And just being aware of the reality of that and not being like, No, this is me and Kyle forever. Like just being like, I like this guy a lot, and I hope this goes somewhere, but, you know, we might break up. We might find things out about each other that we don't like. And going through it with that confidence of, like, I already know that it could go somewhere bad, but I'm just going to do it anyway, was so much better than being like, put that idea out of your head, and make sure that they, like, I don't know, express their undying love to you, and, like, yeah. get them. Because, yeah, that, that's a very low confidence place to be in when you need those declarations constantly. Yeah.
1: And that's like, well, like with the relation, the last serious relationship that I was in, it was like, I don't think I had very much confidence. And then some things happened and then we got like, we got back together anyway. And, and I was constantly like, but do you love me, though? And she's like, yeah, I do. Like, just, like, relax, you know? And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and then, like, I was holding on to this huge resentment that I had towards her, and it just, like... And then when we broke up, I was like... I was like, I'm devastated. I'm so devastated. And then I went through this, like, period where I was, like, super depressed, and, like, I wanted to kill myself, you know? And then, like, I came out of that. And I think that's attributed to my confidence here and not worrying about if it's working out or not. Because I'm like, listen, I went through that where I was like, I was in a relationship where I was like ready to be her kid's stepfather. And I wanted to have a kid with her, you know? And I was like, I want to marry this woman. And then it ended and I was devastated and I wanted to kill myself. I got through that. So like, Whatever, if this new thing doesn't work out, who cares? You
2: know? Yeah. I mean,
1: th- it's not like a who cares, like, oh, I don't care about this relationship, but, like, whatever, you know?
2: Yeah, like, you know that you've survived. And I think that's that's why sometimes when I see people marrying their first ever boyfriend, like, sometimes that happens and it's beautiful and wonderful. But I learned so much from going through really hard breakups mm. and thinking someone was your soulmate. Maybe they were for that time, but now they're not and coming out the other end cuz yeah now I can operate in a much more confident way in my relationship. Yeah, I I know that I could get through it. Yeah. Um are okay, uh, this is a cons- this is um this is an idea that floats around a lot that they explore in this episode that addicts are always addicted to something cuz he talks about oh, I, I can't eat just one cookie. I eat the whole box of cookies. And there's a lot of people that when they talk about wanting to try drugs, they're like, I got an addictive personality. I can't do it. I know I would get addicted. So, like, there's this idea that if you are the type to really get into something, you're you're an addict and you're going to be like that with everything.
1: I think, yes. And no, like when I think about before I ever started drinking or doing drugs, I did every, I did do everything to excess. Like even like my, I remember specifically my parents being like, you don't need to drink that much juice every supper. Like (laughs) I would like drink juice, pour a new one, you know, like little things like that. Yeah. And I think there are certain things in my life even today, now that I've been sober a number of years, like coffee is a thing that I'm like, I have to have a coffee in the morning and I have to have a coffee at coffee break and I have to, most of the time have a coffee at lunch and then sometimes even a coffee on my way home from work. Um, which I think that's just a caffeine addiction that I have.
2: Yeah. Do you have trouble sleeping?
1: A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think I do do things in excess But at the same time, it's weird because your addiction to drugs or to alcohol isn't, it's, it's not even about the drugs or the alcohol. It's about how you see yourself and like problems that you've had in your life that you haven't dealt with. And that's your way, your, your way of not dealing with yourself is just getting messed up all the time. So it's not like. People always, like, in the program will be like, oh, when I was living in the problem, you know, and it's like, well, drugs and alcohol were my solution to the problem, which is, the problem is me. I, Mm -hmm. you know, my, I'm my own problem. And, like, even the people talk about, like, oh, when I was living in the problem, it's like, no, but, like, you can live in the problem even though you're not drinking or using drugs if you're not constantly working on yourself. Yeah, or like taking note of like, okay, I've been like, you know, I've been getting into uh, meaningless sex or like using people, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know, but then that that uh, that to accept like that attitude of doing everything to excess still comes out in me in like little things where I'm like, oh, I need to go golfing every day, or I need to play as much hockey as I can, you know, like. Uh, I think, and that is just like, I notice I do things to excess when when I'm not wanting to be by myself, when I'm not comfortable sitting alone, or like, just being at home watching TV alone, that's when I'm like, constantly going out, or constantly, you know, so.
2: Are there thoughts that kind of bubble to the surface when you're by yourself, that you're trying to distract yourself from?
1: Yeah, like, now that I've been sober for a number of years, it's, it's, uh, I have a, terrible relationship with uh, the 12-step programs where I don't go to enough meetings. So usually when I'm, like, sitting at home and I'm like, oh, man, I feel crappy, but I haven't been going to meetings, and that's why, and I'm like, I don't want to think about this, so I'll go do something else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um,
2: well, and then you have the excuse, like, oh, I can't go to meetings. I'm so busy with hockey yeah, or whatever. exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, it just all stems down to being comfortable with yourself and finding it's a weird. It's weird because like the twelve step programs are based around finding um, a higher power, mm-hmm. which is something that I struggle with on and off because I don't. I don't know what I believe in. That's like you know, it cha- it's constantly changing. And I've been exploring, like, um, like, the native spirituality, and, like, that's where I feel more comfortable, but then I go through, I'm like, no, like, I I have rational thought, and I don't believe in God, I believe in science, and I'm, so, like, I'm, I'm constantly switching back and forth between that. But the whole idea of the Tulsa program is, like, you're not in charge, and that's, you have to like you can't that's why I have the surrender tattoo to like you're not in charge and you can't control other people you can't control every situation you can't force relationships to go where you want them to go things are just gonna happen Mm -hmm. you know and like when I'm like in my like not believing in a higher power like there's no God state of mind I'm like yeah but like whatever the universe is constantly expanding and things are being destroyed and built in space and just goes on and on forever and something about that like chaotic randomness is comforting Mm -hmm. yeah things are just going to happen with or without me so just let it
2: yeah and i think (coughs) that can be a spiritual thought too like um i read a book by deepak chopra where he talked about how the cells work in your body and he was like um cells work together as a team and when an old cell has to die off, no one's like, oh no, like it just happens and it's a cycle, right? And he, but he's like, but it's this beautiful community where all the cells are doing what they need to do to keep, to make you Chad mm-hmm. or they're doing what they need to do. And it's like, um, they're not thinking about why they're not, and that goes back to the comedy community. You're not going like, if you go to a show and it was a good show, then you didn't need to be in that show. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's it's just the idea of, like, what is the greater good? Did the audience have a good time? Yes. I was part of that. Yes. That's beautiful. And move on. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah and I think, too, like, I, that's, that's something that I struggle with, especially in comedy, where you're like, well, why is this person... Why is this person on this show? Like, they're yeah. not that funny. I'm funnier than that person. And it's just like, I have to be like, no, no, they're there for a reason. Someone's giving them a shot. Yeah. And when it's my opportunity, my opportunity will come. But, and that goes back to the, like, also not having expectations or trying to be in control of where everything is going always.
2: Do you ever find, like, this is something I've been struggling with lately, where like, if you see someone do a really underwritten set that's like, they basically go up and talk about shit or their dick or whatever. And you're like, yeah, I get that shit and dicks are funny. Like, and the audience is, in fact, laughing. But it's not for the right reasons. Like, I get this really Mm. righteous, like, and I don't mind, I don't mind a little bit of humor that's just for the sake of silliness. I'm not saying that, but like when somebody doesn't care and they're just going up and saying whatever. And they get the same amount of laughs as someone who worked really hard. If I'm thinking spiritually, I'm like, well, laughter is laughter. um, Either way, you know, why should it matter? But then if I'm thinking with my ego, I'm like, they shouldn't be allowed to do that.
1: Yeah. I get that. Uh, I hate that. Because I constantly am flip-flopping between, like... It's not a team sport. it's a very selfish endeavor, stand-up comedy because at the end of the day, I might be friends with all the comedians in Winnipeg, but none of those comedians are on stage with me when I'm telling the jokes that I wrote. Mm-hmm. and like I go through phases where I'm like concerned with like, Oh, what did Matt Nightingale think about this joke I wrote, or what did you know? What did Ball Coach think? What did Jordan Wellwood think? You know, yeah. were they laughing? You know, and I I catch myself like looking to those guys when I'm on stage, like, oh, is, is Wellie laughing? You know, is Andy is Andy laughing? Yeah. You know, and then and then I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter if those guys think that I'm funny. It matters what the audience thinks is funny.
2: Yeah, you're there for the audience. Yeah,
1: but then at the same time. When you see someone go up and tell, like, super hacky jokes or, like, shit and dick jokes. And you're like, oh, man, respect it. Respect this thing that we do. You yeah. don't have to, like, you're taking the easy... that think it boils down to, like, they're taking the easy route rather than writing something that's smarter or more clever.
2: It is frustrating. And I think it's... If I were ever to write a movie or TV show that involved stand-up, I would show the audience laughing really hard at something like that and then pan to the back where all the comics are just standing there looking heartbroken. Because they're like... You start to be like, well, why did I spend two hours writing today then? Like, this is getting the same response.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think that's just a whole... That's a pride thing. Yeah. Where it's it's like, well, i worked really hard to write this thought-provoking joke on racism. And then this guy went up and got the same laughter by talking about his dick, you know? Mm-hmm. But then it's like, well, the audience laughed. That's what's important. Is was-
2: Yeah. And, like, I think I, I try to get to a place where I'm like, I write what makes me feel good, what I want to put out in the world. And the way people are going to react, like you said, it's a selfish thing to be doing, So all I can control is how did they respond to what I had to say. Mm. But it's hard.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think that's why, like, I struggle with, like, wanting to impress other comedians is because you're, like, you're in that comedic headspace where you're, like, oh, man, I want to, like, one-up everyone and I want everyone to think I'm funny. But at the end of the day, when you're on stage, the only people that... Matter are the people who paid to be there who were, came to see the mm-hmm. show
2: and they're seeing it in such a different light because they they don't know the ins and outs of it it's like um it's like I love watching magicians and I want to learn magic so that I can do magic in my act like more than anything <laughs> but I also every time I sit down to learn magic I'm like do I want magic to become my new comedy where I'm analyzing it all the time? Or do I just want to watch a great magician and be like, wow, (laughs) where did that coin come from? Cause like, I love being analytical about comedy and like, obviously I have a podcast analyzing a silly piece of pop culture, but I do miss, I love when, somebody's good enough that i just feel like an audience member yeah and i'm like oh my god i'm just laughing and i'm not thinking like oh they're gonna oh one two and the third one's gonna be less of an expected thing and oh that's what it was i guess i like that i know we're all trying to impress each other but we're looking at comedy so differently than anyone else would ever look at it
1: yeah oh yeah because the audience isn't like Most audience members aren't like, oh, where's this joke going? They're just like, they're on, it's like they got on a roller coaster and they're like, we're just here. We're here for this ride and make us laugh, you idiots. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They're listening and yeah, and they, and all you can do is, is try and do for them what makes, what makes you feel good and, I think I started changing the way I wrote when I started thinking that way because I used to just be like, "Oh, I hope they think I'm cute. I hope they think I'm charming," and it was all about what do they think of me, as opposed to this generous, like, "I would like to tell you this and make you laugh."
1: Yeah.
2: Um, it was. It was very much about uh, feeling con- like ha- making them make me feel confident, as yeah. opposed to making sure they have a good night.
1: I went through a lot of phases but like I I went through like especially like finding your voice and I think I'm still trying to find my like true comedy voice. Um but I went through like phases where I was like oh I want to be this like shock value comic, you know. Oh, I want to talk about sex and like but it's going to be shocking and you're going to be outraged but they're going to love it. You know, and then I was like, that's not, I can't be that person. You know, and I've, no, I've think in like the last couple of years, it's like, I want to be one of those comedians. that's not necessarily like a, a joke. Like I sit down and I write a joke about what's happening on TV. You know, I want to be personal and I want to be like the honest, like talk about, real things that happen in my life, whether they be relationships or failed relationships or like racism. But I also need to find that it's like a weird, you have to find that line where you're like, you're you're able to like share your life with the people, but also make it funny. Cause there's definitely times where I go on stage mm-hmm. and I think, like, here's a shitty thing that happened to me. And they're like, yeah, that's shitty. Why are you talking?
2: Yeah. About like,
1: oh yeah. You don't see the humor in it, you know? And like, that's yeah. my go-to with dealing with anything is like oh where's the humor in this i need to find the humor and so yeah. when i find like oh this is funny you know like when i went through my break i'm like oh this is funny i can find the humor in this and then the first couple times we're like no it's just sad you're just a sad person yeah you're just
2: bumming us out yeah. <laughs> i um have you seen obvious child no oh you should watch it i think it's on netflix yeah uh, it's with jenny slate and it's it's a bit of a romantic comedy, but it's about her on the road to getting an abortion. So it's not a typical romantic comedy. And it starts, um, it actually reminded me a lot of you, because it starts with, she's very raw talking about her very recent breakup, and the audience is like, ah! and like, she doesn't do so good. And then at the end of the movie, though, she finds a way to talk about this very vulnerable experience, and she is charming and funny. And I've seen, I've seen that progression with you where like, I see you talking about something so real that it makes me like, Oh my
0: God, why are you talking about this?
2: Cause like, (laughs) it makes me nervous. Cause I'm like, (coughs) I think whenever somebody gets really real, you're like scared for them almost. You're like, no, you're just opening up so much. How are you doing this? But then like within the third or fourth time you've made it into a bit.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And like, I think that's. I think that's really cool, and I think whenever most people start, they spend three hours going over the same five minutes, and they're like, and this is the exact part where they'll laugh, and then I'll go, no, seriously, and they manufacture all these moments. But when you can just go on stage and, like, throw it at the wall and then be like, I'll pick this, 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 like, I think that's when you're on to something. Mm
1: -hmm. I think, too, like... Like, well, the last year's relationship, the day we broke up, I was like, oh, what day is it? Wednesday? Okay, comedy. I'm going to comedy. And, album, and I was like, am I going to talk about this? And then, like, no, obviously you're going to talk about it tonight on stage. And then I did. And it wasn't that funny. But there were, like, little things. Where I was like, okay, take this and this, you know? And, like, I used to have a, or I have a joke about my real dad doing drugs. And I tried it so many times where it wasn't that funny. And then uh, Ben Walker was like, dude, you're, you're saying crack. You're talking about your dad smoking crack too many times on stage to where people are just bummed out. And I was like, "I was like, yeah, but there's something there. He's like, yeah, but he's just to stop saying the actual drug.
2: You know? Oh,
1: and yeah. I was like, huh. And then I thought it was like, oh, yeah. I mean, even now it's still a joke where I allude to my real dad doing drugs. But I make, it's like, I found a way to be silly about it, where I, like, talk about how, like, I'm jealous of other comedians who can be like, hey, my dad's so relatable. And then everyone's like, yeah, we relate, you know? And so yeah. I do it in that voice of, like, you guys know when your dad was, like, imagining the spiders on his body? You know? <laughs> it's like, but I don't mention crack or, like, any other drugs. you yeah. know.
2: Do you feel sort of Doug Stanhope-ish?
1: I don't know if I've. I don't know. <laughs> I feel a a special I loved recently was Neil Brennan Three Mics. Oh, know I gotta watch it. that. Yeah. No. it's really good. Where he's like, this mic is one liners, this mic is jokes, and then this mic is real. And if I'm being honest, the the mic in the middle, he talks about his depression and like anxiety and like suicidal thoughts, and it's not funny a lot, but it's just like. It's so like he goes from, he does a one-liner on the mic, and then he moves over and tells like, like a long-form joke, and then all of a sudden he's just talking about this real thing about how he feels about his dad and stuff. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and it's like so, it's like an experience where you're like, oh man, I'm along for this ride, and I feel awkward for you right yeah. now, but you're so comfortable in talking about it.
0: and
2: cool.
1: At the end, there's like a slight like little joke, but like, nice. just like this like five-minute bit, you know, it's really, it's really good.
2: I'll have to watch that. Yeah, that's something I was just thinking about. Um, uh, With Sex and the City, I think it was as real as people were ready for Mm -hmm. at the time, and it accomplished a lot. But if that was an hour-long episode, um, did did it strike you as odd when she just accepts his alcoholism right away? Yeah. Because she walks away smiling and she's like, (coughs) aren't we all recovering from something? And it's like she's... She doesn't take a minute with it at all.
1: Yeah, I've uh, I've had experiences where I like tell a woman like, "Oh, I'm a recovering alcoholic," and then I can see the like lights go out and like they're I'm like, "Oh, they're they're not interested anymore." And I think it scares women sometimes. We're like, "Well, what are we gonna do if I'm out drinking?" And It's like, man, it's not like it's not like I, I don't have fun anymore. It's just like, yeah, you know. Um, but I also get it. It's like, and that's something I think about a lot. I'm like, you know, what if like this woman is just, her concern is like, is it going to be awkward when we're like a couple and we go out and everyone's drinking and I'm not, and like, that's a legit concern you're allowed to have. So I don't, I don't know. It's, it's it's weird because I've had experiences where women are like super okay with it. And then where I can tell that they're like, um, I tell them and I'm like, Oh, this is it, this is the last date we're going on Mm because I can't handle it.
2: But there are some that are just like, okay, cool. Yeah. And maybe in New York, there's more people who are, like, in therapy for something. Like, it seems like a very neurotic city.
1: Yeah. I think I find... The one thing I've found odd with the situation is that even if I can tell that they've, like, shut off the idea to a relationship with me once I tell them I'm recovering, or if they're okay with it, they always ask questions about, you know, like, the background and, like, my story and how it came came about. But Carrie was just like, okay. And then she never asked any other questions about it to them. Yeah. So that's what I've, I i do not know, I just, from my perspective, I was like, well, most people want, and in general, most people are like, as soon as you tell them that you're sober, like, oh, tell me about that. Yeah. What kind of drugs were you doing? Was it just alcohol? Were you doing, you know, what, how long were you? a piece of shit (laughs) for what made you get sober everyone wants to know
2: how can people ask questions while still respecting you and not making you feel kind of on the spot
1: I don't know it's a it's weird because like I'm usually pretty open it for me it just depends on like what kind of mood I'm in whether I'm gonna answer like in depth or if I'm just like yeah I was an alcoholic and I did drugs so then I got sober for a girl and it didn't work out you know um but I'm never like offended when people ask me. Um, I guess it and also it stems down to the person. Like if it's just some random person <laughs> like if I do a joke on stage and then some random audience member is like, Hey, tell me your whole life story and right. I'm like, Man, I don't have time
0: yeah. to
2: tell
1: you my life story right now, you know. Um, Has
2: that happened to you?
1: Yeah. There's definitely like when I <laughs> tell jokes about being sober that people are like, Oh, how long have you been sober? Blah 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 and they want to know everything right. and you're like Dude, I just got off stage. Like, yeah. Please leave me alone.
2: I um, get that where people come up to me after, like, or they find out I'm a stand up, or they see me doing stand up, and they're like, "Is it harder to do stand up as a woman?" And I'm like, "Whoa, what? Did, like, am I on the cover of Vanity Fair? Like, why are we talking about mm-hmm.
1: this?" I, yeah, I think I don't know. It's it's one of those subjects where you're curious about it, so just ask. For me, at least, just ask the questions you want to know. But, like, don't be weirded out if I'm not giving you in depth answers. No.
2: Yeah, so I guess, like, ask but follow your lead. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Don't be. Be prepared for either, like, a, a super in depth, like, detailed response or a short response. I'm um, like, just read the situation. I guess.
2: I think that everyone could benefit from reading, including myself, like reading about body language and paying attention to the person you're speaking with.
1: Yeah. Because there are definitely people where you're like, you're trying to like subtly and politely like give answers that are like, okay, but like, please stop. Yeah. That people are like, oh, okay, well, what about this? Oh, okay, but what about this? And you're just like, oh, man, please. Yeah. And, and I get into situations where I'm just like, I'm slowly trying to back away from someone <laughs> yeah. to be like, hey, just stop, please. Like,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. I think sometimes the people that are most comfortable socially, it's because they don't know how to read other people and they're just doing their thing. Because <laughs> yeah. if you start to notice other people you're not going to be as confident socially because you're going to be like, that person doesn't like me. I don't know why, but I can tell. And you're going to start to see these things. Yeah. What do you feel, to sum up, what did you feel was the lesson of this episode of Sex in the City? Oh, man. Carrie has a guy get addicted to her. Charlotte learns how to give a tantric handjob. job. And Samantha has two gay men reject her, and it and it ends with the the alcoholic uh, screaming at Carrie from the street, uh, drunk, wandering around naked. What are we supposed to get out of that?
1: I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Like, I uh, I don't know. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. Like, yeah, because there's like so many. There, like Samantha's whole thing was like. She went in expecting to have this, like, wild, adventurous sex with two gay men, and it didn't happen, and she was left being like, oh, maybe I'm terrible in bed. Things aren't going to work out the way you think they're going to work out. Yeah,
2: never being certain. Yeah. Because Samantha was very arrogant about how good she was in bed.
1: Carrie was so, like, I'm just not going to care about this, or, like, ask questions. I'm just going to, you know.
2: Yeah, I thought she went into that relationship with such a plucky go-getter attitude mm-hmm. but when he says i'm not supposed to date until a year and he goes oh what the fuck it's just a couple of months it's just a couple of weeks let's do it if that were me i'd be like well no i don't want to disrespect your process yeah. like call me in a month it's a month like it's no big deal but like mm-hmm. she's just like cool we went for coffee and had a great talk so let's date and I'm not going to think about where you're at at all.
1: And then Charlotte's was... She was... Charlotte's was like the only happy ending, really.
2: Yeah. Yeah, she learns how to give a good hand job. Yeah. And what I found weird about that was... That's not Charlotte dealing with her own insecurities. Because, like... If a guy falls asleep on you during sex... I mean... Some of the blame is on him.
1: Yeah, I, I, f- what, I felt weird that she didn't question him at all. Like There was no...
2: She just automatically was like, I gotta find a way to please him. Mm-hmm. And then she does, problem solved. Mm-hmm. But she never deals with the fact that, like, that wasn't cool what happened. And, like, there were two people there.
1: Yeah, it's not, yeah, definitely, like... Because it's like, oh, it's my fault. It's my fault that he fell asleep. But it's like, no, Matt, why not just, like, figure out what's wrong with him also?
2: Yeah, like, maybe he's... He said he was really tired. It's like, well, maybe you've been working too hard. Like, yeah, there's... And again, I think if it were an hour-long show she could have had more of a relationship with that guy, but, like, we never see this guy again. Oh, really? Yeah, no, I have no idea who he is. Hmm. So, like, he wasn't in the previous episode, he's not in the next episode. So I'm just like, so this is a guy that you are crying over not being able to please him in bed, and who even is he?
1: Yeah. (laughs) How many lines? He has, like, two lines in the entire episode.
2: Yeah, he wakes up and he's like, I was just resting my eyes. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I just had a long day. I'm really tired. And then later he says, oh, Charlotte, you are good. Yeah. <laughs> While he's getting a hand <laughs> job. This is the extent we know about this man. I don't even know if we hear his name.
1: Yeah, I didn't catch his name.
2: Again, I don't know if that's lazy writing or a retaliation against disposable girlfriends that are on a lot of TV shows where it's like, oh, who's that girl? I don't know. I guess we'll never find out.
1: It makes sense. But the for an underlying message, I don't know if there was.
2: I don't think there was. No. And it's weird because most of these episodes are supposed to... They inform her column, her weekly column. So I think later on, in later seasons, they start every episode, you're supposed to learn something. But this felt like... Yeah, it's all it's all kind of for laughs, because even, even the alcoholic, we don't get to find out enough about him for it to be, we don't learn anything.
1: And it was a very, like, the ending to the episode with him, it was like a very, like, as soon as, it was a very stereotypical, like, oh, yeah, of course, he's drunk screaming in the street now. This is what always happens, right?
2: Yeah. Do you think that's part of the hesitation when you said that some women are suddenly like freaked out? In that, in pop culture, it's like, watch out. Mm -hmm. The moment an alcoholic is upset, that's what he's going to do.
1: I've never actually thought about that. Mm. I've never looked at that side of it. That makes sense, too. That we're, like, from watching TV and movies programmed to see these alcoholics. Recovering alcoholics are are people who are constantly, like, in and out of sobriety. And, like, you know, not level-headed, not... Uh, not in control of themselves, that makes more sense now.
2: And you said, like, you can be in the problem without drinking. Yeah. Like, you can still be in that space. So it doesn't, it's not like, I had a bad day, time to relapse.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's like, I had a bad day, now I'm going to live in the extreme version of whatever emotion I'm feeling. Whether it be anger, sadness, or, um, you know making myself feel better
2: I think if more people knew that they could probably relate more yeah yeah (laughs) all right cool
0: the end
2: yeah